When I was a kid, we used to watch a TV show called The Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, you did too. And like all shows, it had a catchy theme song. For some reason, that particular song caught on quite popular. I found out that it was recorded in 1962 by bluegrass artists Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs. And it made it to number 44 on the pop charts, but it became the number one country western star song of that year, believe it or not. And I'm sure that if I started to sing along with you this morning, that most of you could quote every word of that song, but we're not gonna do that today. Because I know you do a wonderful job at it and people watching online would go, why are they singing the Jed Clampett song? song? <laughs> but back to my point, like many of you, I was entertained weekly by watching old Jed Clampett and all of his kin as we tuned in to the Beverly Hillbillies. And although it was entertaining, it wasn't realistic. I mean, just listen to the words of the song. Then one day he was shooting at some food when up through the ground come a bubbling crude, oil that is, black gold, Texas tea. I mean, who could believe that some poor guy shooting at a rabbit or a gopher or something could just whoop one day and strike oil come bubbling out of the ground? I mean, poor people never miraculously get rich that way, do they? Well, today we're gonna to read a story from the Old Testament book of 2 Kings that tells us something unusual like this really did happen. It happened to a poor widow who lived during the years of the prophet Elisha. But what happened for her was supernatural when God performed a much needed miracle in her life. That's how I tied those together, baby. If you were wondering, she, she said, you're gonna be talking about the Beverly Hillbillies? So there, there was a connection there. Did you, did you catch it? Okay, all right. My wife and I discussed my sermons before I preach them. And uh, we have lots of great conversation. I, said, I know she's afraid I'm gonna embarrass her all the time and like I'm doing right now. So it's just the way that it is. I want you to take your Bibles, turn to the, book, the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. We'll be reading out of chapter four, uh, verses one through seven. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew pocket in front of you. Also, the scriptures will be up on the screen. I'll be reading this morning from the New King James. 2 Kings chapter four, verses one through seven. The scriptures say, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, your servant, my husband is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere. From all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass that when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came out and told the man of God, 
And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. This morning, we're gonna begin a short sermon series designed to help us do a better job of embracing this most important foundational truth. God can be trusted to provide what he promises. And without even knowing it, Pastor Anthony got into my preaching this morning when in his opening stuff, he's even gonna use one of the, he used one of the scriptures that I'm going to use in my sermon. He must have got a hold of my email that I sent Samantha on my PowerPoint. No, no, it's just interesting how God works that way. I don't tell them what to come up and say to you with the greeting. I say, will you greet Sunday? And they say yes. And then they will come up and share what's on their heart and what God's given them is right in line with what I wanna share with you today. And I believe that this is a very timely topic because of all the uncertainty going on in our nation and in our world. There's a lot, if you haven't noticed it, there's a lot of saber rattling going on among the world's superpowers, as well as a war in Ukraine, as well as a war in Israel against terrorism. China is threatening to invade Hong Kong. Every radical Islamic nation and terrorist organization is threatening Israel. And you got Russia and China and North Korea and terrorist organizations all over the place that are threatening America. And our economy is not healthy. And many people believe that a recession is on the way. And all of this creates worry. And even for Christians who understand end times biblical prophecy, as we, as we try to put all of the pieces of the puzzle together, I know that some of you get scared. And I know this because you have openly shared your fears with me and I've tried my best to keep you looking heavenward and not on the things of this earth. Because what all this means to us folks is your day of redemption draweth nigh, as the good book states. But you know, all of this uh, economic uncertainty, all of these rumors of war tend to shake us up inside while our minds visualize all kinds of created, frightening scenarios. Anybody relate with what I'm talking about here? Where does your mind go when you start thinking about war and you start thinking about an economy going down the tank and you start thinking about our nation's debt? The first thing you think about is you start asking questions like, will my needs be met? Will I be able to feed my family? Will I be able to keep my home? Among many other things. And so today I wanna to specifically remind you of something. God can be trusted to provide for your need. Thank you, Pastor Anthony, for the introduction. And this series is going to be a time of building your trust and your faith in God because God is completely trustworthy to provide for your need. And we see this very clear in this story that we just read from the book of 2 Kings. But before we look at the main points of this Old Testament story, let me provide you with some background. The prophet Elisha in this story was the successor of the prophet Elijah. Elijah was known to be a fiery spokesperson for God who confronted people with, with hard truth. But Elijah's understudy, Elisha, 
Well, he was known more as a tender healer who extended grace to people. And in my mind, when you put these two similarly named prophets of God together and combine them into one individual, they ministered like Jesus did. I mean, after all, Jesus was the one who was full of grace and also full of truth. Well, the Bible says that Elisha was given a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And, our, and I believe that our text clearly shows us that he indeed utilized that double portion in compassionate acts of, of, of ministry and mercy towards this woman who was suddenly widowed. Her husband was one of Elisha's disciples. He was a part of his company of the prophets. And tradition tells us that his name was Obadiah, though it doesn't say in the scriptures. And if that's true, then we know that he was a key player during the time when King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel were trying to annihilate the prophets of God. In fact, in 1 Kings 18.4, it tells us about this man. For so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. So by this mention of him, we, we first of all realize that Obadiah was a good man who cared. And what he did, he did at great personal risk. But I'm also certain that it was at great personal cost as well. I mean, think of how much it would cost to feed a hundred prophets of God for any length of time. And when you really think about it, this could be why Obadiah died destitute and left his widowed uh, uh, wife in deep financial trouble. Perhaps he borrowed money in order to provide food to take care of these hundred, hundred hidden prophets. We don't know for sure, and this is mere speculation on my part. But one thing is for certain. She was in danger of lo losing her young sons to creditors. You see, in that day, a creditor could legally and I might add, heartlessly, demand that they be sold into slavery in order to pay for their father's debts. Now this shocks us, because selling our kids into slavery, of course, is, is illegal, and it's unconscionable. But it was par for the course in those days. But in a very real sense, understand that this slavery still exists because debt is still in control, it is still around. And it is a nightmare that enslaves a whole lot of families, especially in our current economy. I read a statistic that said 56% of marriages that end in divorce do so largely due to insurmountable debt and unmanageable finances. So if you struggle in this area, then you can relate to how this woman must have felt because you know how debt can indeed enslave you. I mean, it causes constant fear and it's a heavy burden for anyone to carry, not to mention it prevents you from saving and it prevents you from also giving, which we're called to do. People who have experienced crushing debt 
Understand what Proverbs 22, seven means when it says the borrower is a servant to the lender. And those plastic lenders that we carry around in our pocket, all of us and in our wallets, well, they can be cruel masters indeed. Because if we're not very careful, the payments due for each one of those can eat up our entire paycheck, making the, the, the words on the bumper sticker true, I owe, I owe, so it's off to work, I go. J. Reuben Clark puts it this way, once you're in debt, interest will be your companion every minute of the day or night, and it's working against you. It has no love, no sympathy. It is as hard and soulless as a granite cliff and you cannot dismiss it. Whenever you get in its way or you cross its course or fail to meet its demands, it crushes you. So if you struggle with debt this morning, I would advise you to follow the financial principles found in God's word and get out of debt as fast as you can. And we have some financial experts at this church who have helped many people here at High Point get out of debt. So take advantage of these resources that are available to you. My sermon is not on debt. That was just a little sidebar because it is such a prominent thing in our society and in our culture. I wanna get back to our text. Our text this morning illustrates some of these biblical principles. So I wanna get back to it. What can we learn from this morning's story, Bible story that I read you? Well, one very important fact that this widow's experience clearly shows is that God cares. Ladies and gentlemen, God cares about you. Our holy, almighty, all-knowing God not only hears your cries, he actually cares about the pain and the fear that prompts your cries. So I want you to, to really hear me out on this. No matter what your need is, no matter what nightmare you are going through right now, anything from crushing debt to crushing grief, you can be assured that God deeply cares. Scriptures reveal again and again that he has a special place in his heart for those who are alone and those who are hurting, for those who have been displaced, for those who struggle with fear, for those who, who are victims of abuse and injustice, for people who are trapped in sinful thoughts and, and sinful actions, for people whose world seems to be spinning out of control as debt piles up. And God especially cares for widows and orphans. I mean, consider these verses. Psalm 68, five, a, fatherless, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 146, nine, the Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Some of you can relate to the pain and the emptiness that this widow felt because you've lost your spouse. And I can only imagine how alone you must feel at times. Well, let me remind you something. 
God knows what you're going through. He hears your cries at night. He is your defender and he will sustain you. Because as I said, God's caring is not limited, however, to just widows. He cares about whatever burdens you are bearing, whatever fears that you are wrestling with. In Psalm 50, 15, he says to us, and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. Psalm 134, 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 10, 17, you hear, O Lord, the desires of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. So no matter what mountain-sized problems loom over your head these days, no matter what causes you to have sleepless nights, you can rest in the comforting fact of knowing that God cares. You know, there's a movie called The Clash of the Titans. It's about the mythology surrounding the Greek gods that we've read about in in high school and college and, and their interaction with mere mortals. And if you saw the film, you also know that within it, these Greek gods are a pretty self-centered bunch of, of whatever you call them, deities, so they, they call them. But they are just as fickle regarding their feelings towards humans as human beings are. In fact, in that movie, every human is represented as a clay model. And these mythological gods on Olympus, well, they move them around on a giant chessboard like pawns as a form of, of personal entertainment. Now, the reason I mention this to you is it's all myth. It's all mythology. But here is a reality, folks. There is one true God, and he sincerely cares about you, and he cares about me. He loves us, and so he hears and he responds when we cry out to him. And just like a parent hears their child cry out in the night and go to them, that's what God does. And there are countless times in my life when experiences have shown that that God knows my hurts and he hears my cries. I'm reminded of a time when my, my father came home for lunch one day. I was just a little guy. Dad was a cement contractor and he seldom came home for lunch. So it was kind of unusual, but this particular day he did. And because we lived in a rural area, in those days you could just leave the keys in your car. It was never a problem. Well, my dad got out of his van and he went in the house and that's when I went to work. I got inside of his van and I started messing around. It was a Chevy van with a stick shift on the column. Anybody under 40 has never even heard or seen a a device like that. But there was a time where you shifted on the column and not on the floor. Now you can't even find a car with one on the floor unless you happen to own a Porsche or something like that. But I get in this van and I decide to turn the key. Well, this truck jumped forward, and to my surprise, it started and started moving forward. And I'm in this 4,000-pound torpedo heading towards the street with the driver's door still open. And I can barely see over the steering wheel, 
about ready to clear the driveway when the front left tire goes into the ditch and it almost turned the van over. The van is kind of leaning on its side. And luckily, the van came to a stop with me hanging upside down out of the door because my foot is caught up on something. And to this day, I do not know what my foot was caught up on, but I know who did, and it was God. And I know that, that he had that happen so that I wouldn't be thrown from that vehicle and probably run over by the rear tires. Because there was one thing that I learned having grown up in church, even as a little guy, and that was I knew to cry out to God. And I did. And I, all I remember is how scared I was and asking God to help me at that moment. And he did. And that's just one small story of my life. Believe me when I tell you there are, there are more. And in the multitude of conversations that I have had with many of you in this room has shown me that you too have experienced the same kinds of things. I'm talking about some amazing stories that you have all shared with me when God heard your cries and he was near you during a moment of crisis. You see, God knows our struggles and you and I are never unseen by his unloving, his loving gaze, excuse me. He hears your cries and he responds when you cry out to him. And this widow's experience underscores this comforting fact. But there is more that we can learn from her story. The second thing that her experience shows us is God uses the little we have to do much. Remember when this poor widow came to Elisha asking for help, he answered her pleas with a question. In 2 Kings 4, 2, again, he says, tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Well, then Elisha says, I want you to go to all your neighbors, go to all your relatives, and borrow every container that you can put your hands on. Tupperware, Rubbermaid, it doesn't matter. You can even use the cheap ones you get at the dollar store. But I want you to bring all of those containers back to the house, and I want you to go inside with your sons, close the door, and start pouring the oil that you've got in your little jar into those big containers. Well, she obeyed the words from the prophet of God, and she struck it rich. Because oil began to gush out of that small little pot like that bubbling crude that came out of the ground for old Jed Clampett. And God multiplied her small amount of oil, filling literally every jar that she had. In fact, only when the last container was full did the oil stop flowing. Which lets us know, by the way, that if she was somehow able to have got another 10 containers, the Lord would have filled every one of them. Then the oil would have stopped. And I want you to understand something. Oil was a precious commodity. Olive oil was a precious commodity back in those days. It was a valuable staple of the economy because it was used in so many different ways. People used it as a cosmetic. It was used also as medicine. Remember the Good Samaritan? It was used to prepare food. It was burned as a source of light. It was used in religious rituals like announcing a king or, or burying the dead. Plus, it had an incredible shelf life. So it could be bartered. It could be traded. Well, after her oil strike, 
This woman didn't move to a mansion in Beverly Hills, but she did have enough to pay off her creditors and to save her sons from a terrible future. And not only that, she had plenty remaining for her family to live on, I assume, for the rest of her life. But the point that I think we need to see here is this. We have more than we think when we offer God the little bit that we have. I say this because as this widow learned, God takes what we offer him, even the most insignificant and little things in our mind that are little, and he multiplies them and he uses them in amazing ways. He does that with our money, he does that with our talents, he does it with our efforts. Anything we do for the kingdom of God, he multiplies. In fact, I believe that what I said last week about many churches today who do nothing great for God because they they take the faith factor out of it, it, it applies to us as well. In that many times, like some churches, you and I think way too small. We're pathetic little thinkers. We don't think beyond the normal. And we need to start thinking in the supernatural. We need to start thinking about what God has and what God can accomplish. We tend to not factor in God's power. Therefore, we don't do great things or attempt to do great things for God. I mean, the only limiting factor, folks, is your and my obedience. In fact, if this widow was still alive today and she still had empty jars, I can assure you that the oil would still be flowing because it was a promise from God and he never rescinds his promises. Because listen, our little is much when we put it in the hands of an all-powerful God. Think of all the scriptural examples of this truth. God used two childless senior citizens, Abraham and Sarah, to be the source from whom an entire nation would be birthed. He used a boy named Joseph who was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers to rule the nation of Egypt, but also to eventually provide food for the Hebrew people during a great drought. God made a shepherd boy named David the greatest king Israel has ever had. He used the skimpy lunch of another little boy to feed 5,000 men on a hillside near the Sea of Galilee and to teach all mankind that Jesus is the bread of life. He used 12 uneducated men to turn the world upside down. And a current example that pops into my mind is Hal Donaldson, who used to, by the way, attend this church when they lived in Red Bluff when his children were just little. Hal had experienced hunger and poverty when he was a boy. His father was killed in an accident. But through the love and through the support of several other Christian families, they managed to make ends meet. And the compassion that they received from the Christian community laid a foundation for something great inside of Hal's heart. As a young man, he went to India and he spoke with Mother Teresa as well as Mark and Hilda Buntain, two very well-known missionaries from the Assemblies of God. And he shared with them how he had a passion to feed the hungry. And they encouraged him, well, start somewhere. 
Just start somewhere. And so he did. And get this, what started as with feeding some poor migrant workers only about five miles from this church grew into a ministry called the Convoy of Hope. You've probably heard of it. Today, the Convoy of Hope has fed millions upon millions of hungry people in America and all over the world. Whenever a natural disaster strikes, Convoy of Hope usually has trucks on the road within hours going to feed people who need food and water and, and, and clothing. Very recently, they've been providing food to the Ukraine. And now Israel and millions of lives have been touched by this ministry. It's an international ministry where, where God took this man who had very little to offer other than a passion and an idea, and he built something beyond his wildest dreams. So please write this down somewhere. When we give God control, he does amazing things. You may think this morning that you are small. You may think this morning that you are insignificant, but let me tell you something, you are not in almighty God's hands. I told you a story once about an illiterate man who found Jesus through the work of the Salvation Army. He went regularly to the Salvation Army Church, but one day he came home rather depressed and his wife asked, what's the matter? And he said, I just noticed that all the people at the Salvation Army wear these red sweaters and I don't have a red sweater. <laughs> and she said, well, then I'll knit you one. So she knitted him a red sweater the next Sunday after church he still wasn't happy, and his wife asked, what's wrong this time? He said, well, I just noticed all their red sweaters have yellow writing on them. Well, both him and his wife were, were illiterate, but she said, don't worry about it. I'll embroider something on there for you. She had no idea what the yellow writing on the, on the sweaters of the people working at the, at the uh, Salvation Army said or meant. But even if she did, she, it wouldn't matter because she, she couldn't read it. But she had an idea. She copied the writing on a sign that was in a store window opposite of their home. And she embroidered the words from that sign onto his red sweater. When he came back next Sunday, she said, did they like the sweater? They love the sweater, he said. In fact, some of them said they liked my sweater better than their own. And what neither of them knew was the sign in that store window that she had copy read this way, under new management. And I certainly understand why the Salvation Army people loved his sweater so much because an authentic Christ followers know that when we give God control of our lives, our lives fall under new management. God moves in and he will use you and I in amazing ways if we will be obedient to him. Consider this folks, if you give a little, pray a little, and attempt a little, you will get a little, you'll hear a little, and you'll accomplish a little. But if you give a lot, and if you pray a lot, and if you attempt a lot, well, you can't even imagine what's gonna come out of that. I want you to listen to Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, what this means is by, by his mighty power that is at work within you and I, 
He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever dare to ask for or to hope for. Friends, don't ever forget this. Your little is much when you put it into God's hands. It really, really is. But here's a final lesson that we learn from this widow's story. God is our ultimate provider. We, uh, we are involved with a network of churches here in town, Faith Works, as you know, and our church gives to a fund monthly and we get grant money and other churches contribute and we try to help people in a lot of different ways, usually with, with housing type situations. And we've gotten in the habit of whenever we, we help somebody and they say, oh, thank you, thank you, say, don't thank me. This isn't from me. This is from God. God is your provider. This money came from the giving of people who love God and believe that he has your best in mind. And the way that we were able to help you is because God provided for this. We didn't. So always remember that. And we need to remember that as followers of Christ. Sometimes we forget. We think the bank is our source. We think our employer is our source. We think our government is our source. God is your source. Don't ever forget that. This widow knew where to run to when she had a need. And her response should remind uh, every one of us that we need God. We need him to help us. We need him to guide us. We need him to provide for us. We're, We're not created to live independent of him. We are designed and created to have an intimate and dependent relationship with our creator. We were created to obey him, to seek him, to learn from him, and to ask him for wisdom, and to ask him for help. Because with that comes the great promises of God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Another translation says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And Luke 12, 22 through 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And this is my favorite. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? But then like Anthony did, verse 31 sums it all up by saying, but seek first his kingdom. And all these other things will be added unto you. The key here is putting God first in our life. God has promised to provide for your needs. So you can trust him to do just that. This means that we can give of our finances. This means that we can serve and give of our time to further God's kingdom without fear. We can obey God fully knowing that he will meet our need. George Mueller was a man who was born in Prussia in 1805 and he attended a university when he became a Christian. Up until then, he had been infamous 
for his gambling debts, his drunken stories, and all of his crazy escapades. But his life, like all of us, was transformed when he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So he finished school and he left for England with the intention of being a preacher. And he and his British wife eventually settled in Bristol, England, and they saw many orphans walking the streets. They were uncared for children, unfed, often sick, and virtually guaranteed a very early death. It was a time when writers like Charles Dickens had not yet brought to attention the plight of these children, and nothing was being done in those days to help them. So George and his wife decided to start an orphanage that would be entirely free of charge and for which they would never ask for money or support. When they had a need, they would go to God alone and he would give them everything that they needed. Many people were skeptical of their plan. And so the Mueller's purpose in in starting the orphanage became twofold. First of all, it was obviously to help the orphans. But secondly, it was to show people what it really looked like to trust God for literally everything. So when the first orphan house opened, George and his wife Mary prayed for everything they needed. And according to George's meticulous records, God provided all that they asked for. By the time George died in 1898, over 10,000 orphans had been housed and cared for in the five orphan houses that they had built. During his lifetime, over a million and a half dollars passed through his, his fingers and They were all in the form of donations, and he directed every dime to the work of that ministry. Through all all of this, the Mueller's never made requests for financial support, nor did they ever go into debt, even even though the five homes that they built cost over $100,000, which was a ton of money back in the early uh, uh, 1800s. Many times George would receive unsolicited food donation only hours before they were needed to feed the children. And all of these things continued to only further and strengthen his trust and his faith in God. For example, on one well-documented case, they gave thanks for breakfast with all the children sitting around the table and there was absolutely nothing in the house to eat. And when they finished praying, there was a knock on the door and the local baker came by with enough bread, fresh bread, to feed every one of them. After his death, the British papers wrote this about George. He robbed the cruel streets of thousands of victims, the jails of thousands of felons, and the poorhouses of thousands of helpless waifs. Another newspaper noted that all this had been accomplished through prayer alone. Imagine that being printed in our papers today. (laughs) Author and speaker Beth Moore, she has a sermon she does from the book of Esther. And she talks about what she calls the reversal of destiny seen in Esther's experience. What, What she meant by that was a poor Jewish girl living in Babylonian captivity who becomes the queen of Persia. 
And I think we see this principle going on in this morning's Bible story as well, because this poor woman became rich. Her little became much. But I think the best example of this uh, theory of a reversal of destiny is seen on the cross. When in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, God made him who, was, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse reminds us that whenever an individual comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they too experience a reversal of destiny. Again, it says, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Here's another verse to illustrate this, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This widow that we've read about here in the book of 2 Kings, she was poor. But when she came to God with her need, she became rich. And I want to make something very clear here. I am not for a second suggesting like many of those who preach the prosperity gospel that becoming a Christian makes you financially rich. It doesn't. That is not what the gospel message is about. The gospel message is that you and I, when we come to Christ, we become rich in spirit. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't bless us financially, because he does. And I could sit here all morning. My wife could, and I could stand up here for three hours telling you stories of blessings that we have received that we never should have received. Furthermore, not only should I say, do you become rich in spirit, but you are now an heir of the one who created it all. Amen. So if you'll allow me, let me get back to my main point. God can be trusted to provide for, yes, your need. But I think a great question for us to ask ourselves is, do I really believe this? By faith, do you really believe this? Can you wrap your mind around this truth? If you take the time to read Hebrews chapter 11, you'd see a listing there of men and women of God who took God at his word. It starts with that famous scripture in Hebrews 11.1 1 that says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then it goes on to list all of these people who by faith dared to believe in God's promises. It goes on to say, by faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Joseph. And by faith, Moses, they all believed in God's promises and they all walked by faith in order to receive them. And I firmly believe with all my heart that we are in a place in history where God wants to see our faith in action. He desires for our faith to be lived out in our thoughts, in our attitudes, 
And most especially, ladies and gentlemen, in our expectations. And I furthermore believe that some of life's difficulties that come to us, come to us in order to test our faith in God's promises. But you know something that's really funny that I found out? Even when our faith isn't strong, even when our faith wanes, God's promises never change. He is always faithful. His promises for you and I are always true. So my word to you this morning is that if you are worried, if you are scared about the future, if you ever have wondered, will my needs be met? Have faith and trust in God, your provider. Believe that in all situation, all situations, God not only cares, he not only hears your cry, but he also provides. He is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. You can take that to the bank. And, and every time one of us comes to him in faith, we leave with abundant provision. Amen. Amen. Scott, will you come forward? You and the worship team help me to close this down. As I thought about and prayed about how I was going to end this service today, I realized in a crowd this size, there are no doubt many needs. Financial, relational, emotional, among many other. But you know what the greatest need is? The great, greatest need is the need for a savior. And you may be here this morning and you don't know Jesus personally. You, you know who he is. You, maybe you come here, you've listened to me preach for a long, long amount of time, but you've never ever said, Father, I, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I give my life to you. you. You allow a change of ownership of your life and allow Jesus to step in and, and, and change your life. Well, my God is not only in the business of meeting those physical needs that you have, but he's also in the business of taking care of your spiritual needs. So I decided I want to open this altar today for two reasons. Either you have a need or God has provided for your need. There is no anything outside of those two. So you can either come down here and you can pray to the Lord about your need or you can come down here with thanksgiving in your heart, thanking God for his faithful provision and meeting his promises in your life. And I also want you to understand this morning that there is a difference between a need and a want. A need is just that. A need is something that you have to have in order to survive. Food in your stomach, shelter, clothing, those are needs. Wants are things that you'd like to have. We all have wants, we all have desires, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. And I'm not saying God doesn't provide you with your wants and desires, because he does that too. But I'm talking about your need. The things that you need to get through, God provides. God knows the difference between the two, by the way, in case you're wondering. 
So I want to open up this altar and I want to ask you as a body of believers to come boldly to his throne of grace and bring your need. Bring your petition, whatever it is, by faith to the Lord and lay it at his feet. And when you do that, worship team's going to sing and Anthony and, and, and Fred and myself, we're gonna come around, we're gonna lay hands on you and we're gonna pray for you. If you can't come down to this altar this morning, then I would ask you to pray at your seat. If you wanna kneel at your seat, that's fine. But I, I want this to be a morning where by faith, if we have a need, we ask God to take care of that need for us. And if God has met our needs, then by and through praise, we thank him for his faithfulness in our individual lives. I think that's something to praise God for. So why don't you stand to your feet? I forgot to have you do that. It makes it hard for people to get out when you're sitting. If you'd like to come to this altar while the worship team sings, let's spend some time down here in prayer and uh, we will close it in, in prayer shortly. Oh 
certainly can stay or pray as long as they would like. I'd like to close out this service in prayer if you'll bow your heads with me. Precious Father, we thank you for your word. Within that word, Father, are promise after promise that you make to us that often we forget about. Often we put our trust in other things when we need to put our trust solely in you. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter the uncertainty. You are God. And you've made promises to us that you keep. And you care about us, God. It doesn't matter how far off we feel sometimes. You know everything that's going on in our life far but long before we ever ask you for anything. God, help us to be regular in seeking your face for the things that we need and not other sources. For you to supernaturally do what you say you will do and bring provision into our lives. The provision that we need that sustains us day after day. Just like you did with George Mueller and those, those orphanages, God. You provided every single day for what they needed. They didn't have to ask for money from anybody. They trusted in you. And that wasn't Bible days. That was just 150 years ago. So God, we know you do the same thing today. Let our faith not be diminished or think, well, that was then and this is now because you are a God who never changes. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
So therefore, we can call upon you and have the same kind of faith and, and, and response that we saw in the, in the Word of God as well as in stories up to this day. So God, I pray that we would build our trust and our faith in you, that it would be unbendable, that it would be unshakable, because we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all. God, I pray that as we go our separate ways today, that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our steps, places we go, the things that we do, the conversations that we have. Let those conversations be designed to build people up and not tear them down. Father, I pray that we would shine like bright lights in a very dark world that so desperately needs the love of Christ shown on them. Let that love flow through us to others. Give us opportunities to share your goodness with friends and co-workers and relatives, Father. Open doors for that to happen. And Father, before or until we gather together again as a church family, I pray that you would keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us, from any sicknesses or disease. I pray that you'll be with us on Tuesday night as we have this outreach, Lord, that it would be a victory for the kingdom of God. I pray that people would come, that they would see the love of Christ in action. They would sense your tangible presence on this campus and that they would feel your love. And I pray that every one of us who's come and gonna be a part of that night, God would shine ever so brightly. And Father, that as we leave here today and as we go into Tuesday night and throughout the week, that we would leave here in love and that the love of Christ would be on display for all to see through our actions, through our words, and through the way we treat one another. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen. Thank you for being here today. God bless you.